If you go to a pub in Ireland, you have to have a song. And if you don't have a song, you may as well not go to a pub at all. I've changed the Murray, by the way. So if anybody wants to buy me a Murray, well, I'd say Peroni as well. Right, guys, it's Tuesday. We've had time to reflect, and I'd like to welcome you back to Four Blades in a Pulp. Unfortunately, work and family commitments mean that we don't like well, we'd love to, but we haven't had the chance to get together and pull the bones out of the last three games. So we've got a bit of a bumper show for you tonight. And I'm John, and I'm joined by Dan. Good evening, everyone. Phil. Good evening. And Ian. Hey, everyone. So we're now at the end of the season. And Ian, I'll start off with you. Immensely proud, or a bit of a case of what could have been? Um... Immensely proud, but also a case of what could have been. I think, I think anyone who, I think coming into coming into the post sort of lockdown football, but also coming into those last three games of the season, you know, post the victories against Chelsea, Spurs, and Wolves, who didn't have a little bit of a dream, who didn't think about the potential of a Blades team playing in Europe. Um, it's just it wouldn't be a. It, I think it's an unnatural thing not to have had a, had a few dreams of that and thoughts of that, given the position we'd put ourselves into. But still, immensely proud of a team that's finished ninth in the Premier League. And if you'd told me that four years ago, you know, in the pre-season, as Wilder came in and Nil came in, that we'd be ninth in the Premier League as we sit here today. And disappointed with it. Yeah, and I'm I'm trying not to sound disappointed because you should be proud. It's just that, like I say, it's hard because you do. You, I think it's natural to think that way. We were playing so well. I think it's okay to be disappointed. I'm disappointed, like you say, immensely proud without a shadow of a doubt. But you can be disappointed without being critical. I think that's the way I'd sum it up. I'm almost certain Wilder will have a tinge of of disappointment too. as much as he was downplaying the whole Europe thing. You know from the fact that three defeats on the bounce and not getting into Europe, even if he doesn't say it publicly, him and Nil will have been, will, will, they'll have had a what could have been conversation like we are now. I couldn't agree more. I also, I think about the criticism as well. I think we need to, maybe as a fan base, it's a tightrope, isn't it? Be, between like heightened expectation, particularly moving forward, and like, recognising the limitations of his players. But I do think, though, you know, I think we can still like look at some individual performances as well as team performances. Like the Leicester one was, was pretty fucking dreadful. Like, um, and I think that that was like, sounds awful three games to go to end of the season. That was like the hammer in the coffin. And, and then against Everton, that game was there to be won. And we just didn't, we maybe just didn't have enough ideas. And we'll go on to how we address that and things. I think the way you've summed that up, Ian, of being, you know, somewhere on the fence about it, um, where you are proud but you are disappointed, is is, it, is, is is the way we all probably feel. And Dan, when you, when you talk about being, we talk about being proud, what moments would you say throughout the season have made you feel so proud of where we've come to? I would probably say earlier earlier in the season it was when we basically took Man United apart for 60 whatever it was 60 65 minutes because that what 
you know, you, you look at Huddersfield the other season, they beat Man United, that's fine. But they beat them 1-0 and they, they kind of nicked a goal and they dug in. We actually went toe-to-toe with, all right, it's not, it's not a vintage Man United, but there's still a lot of good players in there. And we went toe-to-toe with them and absolutely took them apart for 60, 65 minutes. We made them look bang average. And as much as you can say, Phil Jones didn't play well and uh, Brandon Williams didn't play well, that was more to do with that, what we did rather than they did. So that probably for me, that's the that's probably the high point of the season for me. That, those 65 minutes against Man United and we just, we, we really looked like we belonged and we really looked like we were reveling in, in what we'd done. Um, so that, that's probably the, the bit that I'm most proud of. I think we're, that, that was such a fascinating game of football. That's like one of those, it's like a vintage, for a Blades fan, it will be up there with that classic Liverpool-Newcastle game from like 96 where Collymore scored the goal, yeah. the, the dodgy run at the end, that it just had everything everything about it. Um, but for me, like my, I, I look back and go, four points off Wolves, four points off Chelsea, um, four points off Spurs, Four points off Burnley, which I still think is, sound, doesn't sound as good. Um, holding ourselves against the champions until a, a mistake by Henderson. A fantastic performance away at Man City where lots of things seem to conspire against us. And generally, the, the fact that our performance levels weren't only where they needed to be the majority of the time, they were beyond where we ever could dream they would be in. And I was just... I think that's maybe what we're going to talk about next when we talk about where where we are now and who would we need. So I do think with a little bit more know-how, which we'll have gained throughout the season, but also a little bit, you know, hopefully a bit of better quality in the team. Who knows? Who knows what's possible moving forward? Phil, how about you? How, do you is there a disappointment or something you're particularly proud of? Yeah, I mean, so there's sort of two things that um, Dan Dan sort of used two different phrases there, and I've got two different examples of them. So, moment of the season for me is um, John Fleck scoring the third goal against Burnley, three 0 up at half time against a side that was going to be our hardest test so far at home, apparently. Yeah, and that was the kind of moment where, like, Christ, we're actually a, a good Premier League side here. And then I'm glad you mentioned them. Them two defeats to Liverpool at home and Man City away, albeit losses, we went toe to toe with them two teams, and we gave them a bloody good game. And City, arguably, we were the better side. Liverpool probably did have the better chances in the game. Salah should have scored, and and obviously Fleck could have scored late on as well. But those two games, you proper left. Although we lost, I left leaving feeling really, really proud of my football club. <laughs> And we've not really, we've not been taken apart, have we? And that's another thing. Man United, that, United, United, United away. It was only still, it was three 0 wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it could have been. Could have been. Could have been more. Yeah. It could no, have been. but I'm talking about like a proper, you know, ball gagging, <laughs> bent over, like session, like done in, thoroughly done in. I, I'm, it's interesting. This is an adult podcast, by the way. An yeah. adult podcast. We've just mentioned ball silence. The thing that I was going to say on that is you, you, you touched on the, you, you both, both touched on the sort of performances against Liverpool at home and um, Man United at home and City away, where you know we were competing and we were in with a chance of getting more than a point out of one of those games and certainly not losing the other two. 
I think the other thing is you said at the start we took four points off people like Spurs, off Arsenal, off Chelsea. And actually, the away games in each of those cases where we picked up the point, arguably we could have won those games. Well, we, we also were... we also came from behind in all in all three of those games against yeah. the traditional top six. And that and that to me makes me as proud as, like you say, the quality of football against Man U, the quali- the that the absolute blitz of Burnley. Um, and the quality of the goals against Burnley. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, like you say, it, it's immense. And it, it's not really a surprise in many ways that a squad, I think I put the other day, I said, you know, we've got, I think we've got a first 11 that will compete with 90, 95% of, N, of teams in the Premier League and give them a damn good game. And the, day, the issue we've got is that strength, we'll come on to it later, is, is that strength in depth. But that stat that was shared today about the the metres covered by our players, distances covered, shows, you know, through our starting eleven, how much mileage we cover. And it's immense. You know, the fact that Baldock third in the Premier League, Basham sixth, Norwood eighth, Stevens ninth. That's four United players covering distances that no other, you know, that only six other players are there or thereabouts in the Premier League. So... And, and given the consistency of those four players as starting players in our team, is it surprising? I've seen criticism of Baldock, of, of Stevens, um, and of Egan to an extent since we've come back post lockdown. But it, should we be surprised? I mean, seeing you know sometimes sometimes stats and the facts can belie the truth of what you see on the pitch. But that's something there for me where it really does tie up. Baldock, especially Baldock's one that you might expect, you might have expected his form to drop off more than anyone else's because obviously combined with the the amount he puts in, he's played every single minute of every single game this season. So he, he surely he would be he would be one that would be absolutely you know out on his feet. And I think he's, I think he's actually kept it kept his standards up right to the end. I think he's right. not I really. I think Baldock, for that reason, is somebody who won't get it. But Baldock should be that. Very much in people's uh, discussions because we'll do it. We're going to do a season review pod, and I think the best way to go through that is talk about all the eleven. But we'll talk about that when we do it. But I think Dan, you, what you say about Baldock there is true. The only criticisms that come of him have cut are the things that he was not particularly good at anyway, such as his final ball and things like that. If defensively he has improved so much, and that's proven by how few goals we've scored. And the fact, like you say, he's been on the pitch constantly. Sometimes, like when Basham's been in and out once or twice, he's had to play with somebody else there, which means different loads of things. He's also, his side of the midfield's been the one, well, both have had it, but like, had to deal with the Lundstrom-Berger side of what was going off, etc., etc. I think Baldock's been a phenomenal player. And like you say, in the fact that he's the third highest runner in the league... Mm. Who were one and two out of interest? I haven't got stats because it was just shares the United players, but yeah. I mean, the one Wait. that surprised me in there, actually, eighth in the Premier League is Norwood. Because actually, I, 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 yeah, I think of him more as the one who's picking the ball and, and, and moving it on with his passing, not necessarily. Never stood still. But he's Never stood still. that work rate, isn't it? That sometimes, I've seen, again, player, player, I've seen people criticise strongly, certainly in the last few weeks, of Norwood, yeah, actually, we won't we won't be anywhere near where we are without Norwood. 
I think the, we, we've got a strong agreement between us four about how good a player all in all it is. But I do, I think it's an easy scapegoat when the long pings aren't coming off for some people. Um, but in terms of the season conclusion, then, because we could we we could go on about this generally all night. Out of the three games, which one? So I sort of said Leicester, but which game were you most disappointed in? Would you say, Phil, out of the three? Leicester, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, to, to kind of look at it in the reverse order, Everton was just a bit of a dour game. We could have been, we could have easily got a point or three out of that game. Southampton, we take our chances first half, we probably win that game. Leicester just wasn't us. We just didn't show up at all. And that, and I can understand why Wilder Especially was playing afterwards. We weren't exactly flying either. If they were flying, like we went to It was the fact like the young lad set up the first goal, like, and the and we didn't really get into him as much as I, I would have liked to see us get into like because if you think you you mentioned him before, Dan, when Brandon Williams played for Man United, Baldock, Basham, and Lundstrom absolutely terrorised him for forty-five minutes. I remember when we did the pod after, you were like. I think he was asking for his mum at half time, sort of level of it, it being done over. I, I also think I touched on it before the Everton game disappointed me because uh, Richarlison's a £60 million, pound, whatever. Was it 40 or 60 they paid? Was it four? I mean, and it's, it's a good header. He's a cheating bastard, but it's a good header. Like, but the problem with that is, for me, was I talked about the know how. And that was a game when we really we needed a the ground to be full to drag the players towards the cop a little bit, but we needed that little bit of know-how. And we'll get on to in the third part tonight of who we'd like to sign, where I think we can discuss that. But that that was the same with me at Everton. You know, like you were saying they had the young lad playing at Leicester at left back, and we never really tested him. Everton had the same. They had a nineteen-year-old kid playing centre half, and we never. We never made it. We never made him uncomfortable. Norwood, like right, I'm in. A, I'm in a real fight here. Norwood was intercepting so many balls off him and Gomez because he was either knocking it so long because he didn't have the pass to Gomez on, or Gomez was trying to play it through to Theo Walcott. So imagine how much Theo Walcott's on a week to be that length. He's such a terrible player. These days, I mean, they obviously have a load of potential. But talk about he's a prime example because I think we moved away from it in this country where if somebody was English and half decent as a young player, they were then made for the next 15 years. You know, like that, not- he was lightning quick as a kid, he was lightning quick, and he's not got that. Was he now 32? He hasn't got it anymore, and he's, he's been exposed for being a very average footballer. That's why. It's the same that it's it's the same thing that happens with players at that age. You guarantee from being twelve years old, he's been infinitely faster than every other kid he's played against. So he's looked awesome at all age groups. As soon as he gets into men's football, and it's not just about a straight foot race, people have got a bit more nouse to it. His career just almost fell away. Almost fell away immediately. You know, within within a couple of years of going to Arsenal, it were obviously weren't gonna. It were never gonna fulfil his potential. And you mentioned that there, like Declan Rice. The fact that Frank Lampard wants to sign him and play as a centre half for upwards of sixty million quid, England are never going to win a fucking trophy if he's playing centre back. We, yeah, 
it'd be another John Stones in terms of inconsistency. But just I wanted to point out, I think Walcott's at Walcock. Walcott is absolutely dog dirt these days, and he'll be on an absolute mint as well because Big Sam brought him in. So there'll be some brown envelopes being exchanged there. These aren't the opinions of four blades in the pub, these are merely slurs by me. Um, <laughs> I think the other thing about that is you, you touch on Lampard. If you look at, if I look back on the last few games, I don't think we've been out for or you know teams have got the better of wireless tactics and for me you know the announcement that you know Klopp got manager of the season I get it they didn't give it him last year they'll give it him this wilder second absolutely Chelsea fans saying Frank Lampard's done a great job with no money right okay he's taken from, from third to fourth isn't he? Yeah. they finished third yeah and he had he had Pulisic already signed and Kovacic already signed so yeah <laughs> So you know, I think there's there's this there's this. I think uh, over the course of the season, there's a recognition of uh, an increasing recognition of the job Chris Wilder's done. Um, but I think there's a there's a heavy dose of realism that fans of other clubs need to get about their teams. I mean, I, and I think that's only going to get worse because of the the reduction in money that will be flying around. We're in a better place to respond to that. I think we we can talk about that and a little bit in about the effect, uh, effect of COVID in a bit when we talk about who we'd like to sign. But I think you'll always get fans of different clubs like banging banging a drum that this, that and the other. Like, you, if you were an idiot, and there are lots of those in the world, you can make an argument that David Moyes steering West Ham away from relegation like he did deserves more recognition than it'll get. You can make an argument that Dean Smith to keep a promoted side up in when all the money that's awash in the Premier League, for which Aston Villa are responsible for a large amount of money had. More than the fair share, didn't they? But you could make that, that he's done a good job. And I think I think that will always happen. And the fact, we already know at the LMA, and the big, the big daddy who sits on that board, Ferguson, absolutely adores Wilder and thinks he's, thinks he's wonderful. But I think Klopp had to win Manager of the Year because... <laughs> Liverpool in that time have had some fantastic... They had, like when they nearly won it, won it under Rodgers, that was a good team. This is also a good team, and I think it's also getting that monkey off Liverpool's back means that he gets it. But at the end of the season, because I feel like we're not really... We can just keep talking. It's like a general football chit-chat. I think you summed it up perfectly at the beginning, Ian. I think we're all stuck between a sense of being proud, but also there's a tinge of what... What could have been? I think I think if we hadn't been for COVID, I think we would have, with a crowd behind us at a lane, it might have been more of a case of what could have been. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah, me too. Me, three or four, I don't know. Uh, nice one. Welcome back to part two, everyone. Um, what we want to look at now is, is where we are as a, as a team and a squad, really. Um, and I know, Ian, you've, you've seen something, down, I think, on The Athletic that just gives us a bit, of, a bit of context as to how we started the season, really, in terms of the makeup of the squad. Yeah, I mean, they, they put a, an article out today with a points per wage bill table, which obviously has us at the top of it and, and us at the top of it by 
quite some margin. I think it was 1.35 points per million of wage bill with Wolves in second at 0.64. So we're more than double uh, their their tally, which is interesting. But it, it, it makes the point in the article that we came into this season with the division's cheapest squad in terms of market value, uh, cheapest in terms of wage bill. Only Burnley had fewer foreign players um, and only Crystal Palace were older which is an interesting point, which I'd not really thought about in terms of age of squad. But yeah, and I think that, that was, I thought was a really interesting set of comparisons as to, to where we stand in the league, actually, and, and, and where we might need to change. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, like you said, the age thing particularly is quite interesting. Um, and I know I, I posed the question, point, or whatever it was on, on Twitter a couple of weeks ago about Billy Sharp, and I got a little bit of stick for it. And, and the last thing I want to do is is dilute his legacy because of what he's done for us and, and what a legend he is. But I'm kind of the opinion now that he's he probably shouldn't be in the match day squad. Um, just, I don't think he offers, if he doesn't score, I don't think he offers a great deal to the to the game as a whole. And I think we've, we've possibly got, he's one of the ones that needs to be replaced early doors. I don't know, Phil, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. You, you just said then you, you're not trying to uh, damage his legacy because I mean, rightly so. He's he's a he's a legend at the lane, as John Egan rightly said. But the longer he stays in and around the first team squad, I think he'll damage his own legacy. Many more games like Southampton. Yeah, like you say if he doesn't influence the game, if he doesn't score, he doesn't influence the game. He had two perfect opportunities to influence the game on Sunday and didn't. Yeah, and I think Billy Sharp two years ago, maybe even eighteen months ago either scores both of those goals or he at least sets one of them up. I think that, I think the first one, he, I think he, he got caught in two minds. And he, you could see him having a look at McBurney, but I think he probably should have gone with his instinct and just gone gone for goal. That, yeah. That's that's what he does. That's what he's, that's how he's made his career. So It's harsh to be too critical of him. It is, but, but I also don't... We've always said Wilder's not a man for sentiment, but Sunday... Sharp start in Sunday felt sentimental to me. Yeah. Not to mention Leon coming on. I think that was needs must. I think that was needs must, John. But yeah, but but you could you could argue that. I I think I'll take a slightly different take on Sharp. Not just to play devil's advocate, but it's not a major. I agree that he can't be starting for us. Come. Such a weird sentence, but come September, is it October, September, September, September the 12th? Yeah. yeah. Right. So come September, he can't be started for us. Um, but I do feel, again, he would, the form he was in pre-lockdown, he just scored that goal against Norwich, scored at Reading, he was really hitting his stride. I think we could have seen him finish the season well. We've talked on here before about how he does like hit like hit like Rich Vane's form, things like that. But I do think on Sunday the um the sensible thing to do would have been to start Zivkovic and say, You've got a chance to get yourself a couple of years here if you go and put in a performance today. Go and show everyone that you belong to play in the Premier League. So for next season, well, like I said, whenever it starts, would you be keeping Sharp in and around the squad, or would you be saying to him, if you want to move on, Bill, if you want to go and play, you know, play thirty odd games for someone this season, you know, you have my blessing. I'd keep him around the squad. 
I think he's going anywhere. I don't think there's a cat in hell's chance of that. I think maybe his last season, he might go out on loan, but next season, no way. I, I, I agree, and I think if you look at it now, what are we, 28th of July, we're recording this. That gives us, what, six weeks to get replacements in. It's not a big window. I, I'm with you, Dan. In an ideal world, Billy wouldn't be in your, probably wouldn't be in your 18 because you'd have McBurney and McGoldrick. Um, let's assume everything will come on to Moussa, but yeah. Moussa are equivalent. Um, and you've got, you hopefully brought two strikers in, you know, as part of the, the summer. Now, whether he can do that in that period of time or not is debatable. And that's why you may see Sharp involved at the start but I wouldn't expect it to be the long-term answer, even off the bench. We can get on to who we'd like to bring in, but I, I think if we, looking at where we lost bodies in the squad, getting two strikers in that are any good is going to be very hard. I think we'll be really pushed to get more than one decent striker in. And that's where we're going to have to spend as dough as well. I mean, well, that kind of brings us on to, obviously, with Ian, you just mentioned two of the other the striking options. Um, Zivkovic, uh, obviously he's had limited minutes, but I've not seen anything from from the limited minutes he has had to suggest that he's worth he's worth pursuing. I I was going to say was he? In, I think he was. There was talk of a similar sort of fee to Musa, wasn't there? I think about eight to ten million. I think when he was signed on loan. I think I, I might be wrong there, but I'm, I'd recall there was a reasonably chunky fee by United standards for him. Um, and I suppose the fact is Wilder, Wilder had kind of said to him and Retzos, you know, we're not probably not going to sign you now in the current climate. It's your choice whether you stay or return. Yeah. And Retzos took one choice. And, and to be fair to Ziv, Kovici stuck around and actually, I think we should be thankful. We had, at least we had some pace or an option off the bench, even if we probably didn't see the best of it. But I, I'm not sure we also enabled him to get the best out of him, if that makes no. sense. I don't think any... any if he's spending that kind of money, I think I'd rather have his own £7-8 million pound player in Callum Robinson up there playing Yeah, that. I'm going to say, if, if if you're saying 8 to 10, maybe for a third of that, you know, £3 million, possibly, but anything over £3 million then, now, like I said, I mean, £10 million could be... That could be 50 to 30% of our, our transfer budget for this summer. You'd, yeah. get, you'd get Pookie for £10 million. I'm not saying you would, but Pookie has scored however many goals in the Premier League. I know he dried up acidly, but the point I'm trying to make is you'd be able to probably get him off Norwich with their policy. For, you, get, for that. You, get Josh, you get Josh King for that. Well, well I bet, come on. I bet Callum Wilson wouldn't be much more. Newcastle apparently going for him, aren't they? they I read today. But I think I think Zivkovic, like you say, is he had a chance to prove it? No. But there was a game he come on, I thought he, he looked quite good. Him and Musa came on, was it Wolves? Yeah. I thought he looked quite good yeah. in that game. Yeah. But I, I think you, we've rolled the dice and we've ended up with like a two or three. So just roll the dice again in the summer. Yeah. And obviously the one in that equation is is my current Blades man crush, um, the Moose. Now obviously, after, was it after Everton? Where Wilder obviously there were, there were you know even even um, even Clive Tilsey on the commentary said you know there've been rumours of a fallout and Wilder no commented it at the end of the end of the match and it seemed like it was the end of the road and then that looks like it was possibly blown out of all proportion. 
Is that a child then? Is that a kid? Yeah, he's had, he's, I think he's had a baby. Well, his wife's had a baby. Uh, I think he's had a, a rough time of it recently with a couple of bereavements in his family. And I have, I, I don't know about anyone else, I've seen bits and bobs floating around on, on Twitter that he's got a medical condition. He's, he's been struggling with, with IBS. Um, someone, sent me a, someone sent me a screenshot on Twitter the other week where it was a Sheffield Star article that had been posted and then immediately taken down which he'd managed to screenshot and it was something about, you know, Lise Moussa talks about his battle with, with IBS. Um, again, I don't know how, how truthful it is, um, but I, I still I still maintain that a, a fit and, and, and right moose is is a top six, is, is, is as good as anything outside the top five or six teams in the Premier League. A fully fit, fully firing, mentally right, East Moose is our best player. Yeah. In my opinion, Alan oh. pace trickery. Also, you can finish. You'd really? have to be. Yeah. You'd, you'd have to be a fucking psychopath to sell your top scorer. And, and let, and, Unless something absolutely major has gone off, I, I can't see Tufty, you know, burning his bridges with him. Like, like, like you said, because we've got such a short turn around the transfer window. If we accept that obviously Sharp's not going to be playing regularly next season, we accept that obviously Clark's not there and Zivkovic. If you throw Moose into that, that's four. That's potentially four strikers you've got to replace, or at least three, to get you up to five. That's going to be a you know it's going to be a real odd. You could get a body in tomorrow. You know you could, you could get Forestieri in tomorrow, but we don't want bang average shit, do we? Well, <laughs> <laughs> also one point. Is one point in the account and ten divided by seven is a decent return in terms of goals for the money we spent on him. Yeah, yeah. And and, and again, we talk about Zivkovic. I talked about rolling the dice. We moves. I think we've got a five for ten million quid. I think we not quite got a six, but we rolled the dice and we've got a five. We, he's ended up being his top scorer. There's times in the season where 10 million looked like an absolute snip. He had that he had that purple patch where he scored against the Wolves goal, Man United, um, Arsenal, and 10 million looked like an absolute steal. Um, I think we up in one game as well, didn't it? I think the thing we get three up in one game as well in that period. That Burnley. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The thing with Moose is, and and no, I'm. One of my best friends is a Bournemouth fan and he was saying that the big concern with him and Jordan Ibe got together, a pair of dickheads. Ibe was leading him astray, lifestyle, everything else. And you'd, I'd hoped with a bit more stability up here and a bit more, like say, that experience actually of, you know, the, the players, you know, the age of the players we re- that was referred to in that athletic car. So you've got a lot of experienced heads around the club. We'd hope someone get hold of him, but obviously... IBS can't be helped by pizzas, Haribo and everything else that he stuffs down his neck. Do you know, one of the things that concerned me a little bit about the whole situation, and, and so Wilder said after Southampton, was it, that he'd gone home because his, his girlfriend had had a baby? Yeah. So that's implying that his girlfriend lives in France. Mm. That can't be right. It's to be hoped he's been home in the last nine months. <laughs> <laughs> he does go back to France a lot. He quite often posts on Instagram after a game. He right. goes back to France. And I'm not sure 
I mean, it's almost akin to, you've heard of managers in the past saying the players have got to live within a certain distance of the training ground. It's the same sort of thing. If his mind's elsewhere during the game because he wants to go back to Paris or whatever it is, it just, that doesn't sit well with that. I'd, I'd rather live in France than Sheffield, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, 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 I spend a fair bit of time in France and there's parts of it that are an absolute shithole. <laughs> Well, I think Moose, Moose will always divide opinion, but I think we have to stick him out at least until January or February or fucking whatever weird curveball gets. When's the window end? Is it November or something? Sure, I read something daft like that. I reckon they're making it up as they go along. They haven't got a Scooby-Doo. They will do whatever they need to to stimulate transfers slash what the government tell them to do. The FA will act in line with the advice of the government and I expect they'll keep the money sloshing us around for as long as possible. Because uh, as well, if you, like, what, we're gonna, what we're getting as well, like these are the old, we had it last summer, I think I said it on the podcast, when you've got, a, um, you've got the Euros or the World Cup the following year, you get a lot more people with itchy feet, itchy bums at the top, like, you know, your top pros who, who aren't maybe getting the minutes at the top clubs. So what tends to happen is the transfers just trickle down, down, down. So with those, the Euros all being well going ahead next summer, I think it'll be really, really interesting. Um, in, and we'll get on to sort of who we'd like. I think it'll be really interesting in that regard, how, how much of that can happen in the six-week The only period. thing that might affect that is if they stick with the five subs rule next season... Fringe players will will potentially get more minutes than they would have done with three subs. So they might they might be happier staying where they are on bigger wages and playing. Well, let's say getting more minutes than they would have done if, if they were okay, twenty minutes, twenty minutes, twenty minutes here and there, as opposed to not possibly. If we could just if we could play your quote about you know COVID football getting in the bin. I think we can say that for five subs as well. That'd be yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, five subs, not for me. Not, not for me, Clive. Um, not after, not, not after we've experienced it. I don't. I, I'd be interested. Water breaks. That water breaks can go as well. Oh, water breaks. Water breaks are really bad. Like they, ch- their, their momentum changes in games. Could just about live with the subs. I think a water break. It's almost you now. You play the game in, in in four quarters, aren't you? Or we'll get to the water break because we can kill any momentum. Will that continue going into the new season? Though? Water breaks are stopping apparently, but the five subs is I I fab or whatever they call themselves the the sort of body the board rules board have, have suggested it. But it's up to the leagues whether they take it up. So that could come into the Premier League officially next season. Five subs. Have you got any other points, Dan? Um, yeah, I mean, where I, we are. I mean, we're kind of looking at looking at forwards. Obviously, there's one more name to throw into that mix, and I think Ian mentioned him earlier on. That's Callum Robinson. You know, do we do we look to cash in or do we bring him back into the fold? I Personally, think I, I think he'll end up coming back in unless West Brom make an offer make an offer that we can't refuse. We uh, need them. Yeah. We need them. It's hard. It's a, if we're in person, it's a lot easier to be polite. Um, and it's so bloody hard on Zoom. I I agree with you, Dan. If we if we get what was it we got him for nine, eight nine tomorrow. If they offer us like fourteen fifteen, like see you later. But I would. We talk about needing two players that are freshen that thing in, freshen that position up. 
you have Robinson till January with Moose, and then we look at bringing in somebody to start with McBurney. Who knows? Hopefully, Robinson comes in friendly, scores an absolute handful of goals. But I just really think we need to give him a chance. And bear in mind, he was around the first team. Apparently, they paid us not only his full wages, but he was on something like um, they paid us like a quarter of a million quid a month to have him which will have freed up money to bring in some of the players we saw in January and things like that. Yeah. I think Robinson as well set up goals in really big games, set up he, McBurney he, against Man U, Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, a couple of impacts, didn't he? he you know, like you said, Chelsea, obviously scored against Chelsea. Did he set the equaliser up against Chelsea? Yeah. It was crossed it, yeah. went in off Zuma or Musa, whoever it was. Yeah. Obviously, set McBurney's equaliser up at, uh, against against Man United. Interesting reading about him from West Brom fans uh, on the excellent Roy's views that he does. Um, they were saying that as a winger, which he came in as, they were a bit unimpressed. But as soon as they changed him to a proper forward, proper number nine, he was a revelation and almost changed their dynamic of their team for the last few games to a point that they drag, he dragged him over the line. Because it's quite interesting because I think we've played him out of position. They moved him wide, didn't they, as well for a spell to accommodate, was it, um, was it when Pereira came? Oh, came back in for West Brom. But they moved they moved Robinson wide, which is when he struggled, like you say, um, to accommodate a bigger name, bigger, you know, better striker. But actually his contribution, I think, probably, you know, outweighed that, you know. The, that impact. So, West Brom will be in for him. I'd be surprised if they if if they don't want to keep him. If he's been that integral in getting him up, but it's what we want to do, I suppose. It's and it's how he fits into our team. Does it? Is he going to play in that number nine? Is he going to play off McBurney? Do you give him a, some pre-season games to to try and forge that? You know, because we'll come on to it. We're we're lacking someone. We're lacking the ability to influence higher up the pitch, which is the Duffy role that we've gone deeper this season. Could Robinson do that? I'm not sure. So it's now an out striker or nothing then, isn't it? Because we we don't play with wingers. Yeah. He started the season as first choice as well. Yeah. Uh, he didn't he? That's why. Top scorer pre-season. So so I think I think there's definitely something to explore there. Hundred percent. Like I say, barring a silly barring a silly offer from West Brom, I'd be amazed if he's not in the in the squad at the start of the season. Um, whether John Lundstrom will be is is a question all of its own. Um, obviously, United have extended his contract. We've taken up the the off the um, the clause to extend his deal. Read into it what you want, but it didn't exactly look made up when he scored on Saturday on Sunday. Sorry. Um, uh, I've seen someone on Twitter say there's several Premier League clubs have offered him big money. But whether they're willing to pay what we're asking for him, I don't know. Kyle said in his interview, didn't he, that there are a couple of things where I might have to look after the club. Yeah. In playing that somebody's going to be going. If I had to pick anybody to go, he would probably be the one that I'd put right at the top of my list. He's, I know we'd, we'd need to replace him. And I think to buy a like-for-like replacement that will get the goals that John Lundstrom's got us this season is going to be difficult. But... I'd rather lose him than O'Connell or Egan. 
another way of looking at it, Phil, is we say, I agree with you, you, know, you, you think someone who's going to score those goals in the Premier League, but we didn't expect John Lundstrom to do that. So actually, we might just drop on again. You know, Wilder, Wilder unearthed these players who just come in and, and you know, a lot of what There's Lundstrom... A lot of disarmony. Early on in the season, yeah. even after he scored against Palace, there were a lot of disharmony about him being in the team. Yeah. I can't remember he, who played instead of him at the time, to be honest, but... But he, he was... He was he was hitting the right space as he was getting in the box. He was and he was doing his job of working up and down, and he was allowing Baldock and Basham to play well down that down that right side. People at the start of the season were wanting Luke Freeman to play there because they presumed that's where he'd been bought to play. And who's to say Luke Freeman doesn't come into the team and do well? I'm shocked that he hasn't had a bigger influence on the team so far. But to go back to Lundstrom, it's a real double-edged sword for me. Goals. After Baldock, if not more than Baldock, most improved player. Um, makes us, when he when he's on it, he adds a physicality that nobody else has got and power. He's been some incredible assists. The Moussa goal at Everton is a, honestly a weighted through ball like that is an absolute, I'm doing a French kiss for, for you podcast listeners. He's doing a chef's kiss, not a French kiss. I was licking the webcam literally uh, no but it, it all seems it's like brilliant like that but then what I'd say is we had to wait 18 months for it he's never really fitted in otherwise we wouldn't have pursued Berger in the way we did bearing in mind we've got Freeman and Osborne and Bessich at the time we want to presume that uh, pursued Berger is aggressive. I think well, I think Justice pursued Berger for the position he played in on Sunday. I don't think Berger was ever a, a like for like replacement for Lundstrom because I don't think he's the same player. He's not got that hard running, breaking into the box bit to his game. He's he's a he's a he's a Rolls Royce that's going to sit at the base of your midfield and dictate the game. I think to I think to replace Lundstrom, depending on what we get for him. So that was one, that was my other question. If we sell him now. So he's got a year left on his contract. What's he worth? What what do we get for him realistically? For a goal scoring midfielder, fifteen million pounds. With a year left on his deal. Fifteen million pounds for your English twenty four year old goal scoring midfielder. That's what you should be asking for. I think you're asking for more than that. I do. I I think you could be looking into even with a year left on his contract. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't, come come it, towards the the latter end of the transfer window, that decreases heavily. But if someone wants him now, I think we could command a pretty two. Personally, I I think... As, I mean, I like Lundstrom. And I'd, I'd, be, I'd be very happy if he signed a new contract, providing obviously he wasn't holding the club to, to ransom. I think if clubs are looking at him and talking to him and saying, we want you now, I think we'd be lucky to get £10 million for him just because he's got a year left on his deal. Because a club could say to him, we'll, we'll give you 10 now, or if they don't want to, if they don't, if the club, if United don't want to accept 10, sit on it for a season, you know, play the old game, be in and out of the squad, and we'll take you in the things for nothing, and we'll pay you 70 a week as opposed to 50. In, in which case, it's difficult to replace. Five or six goals from midfield. Again, it's a knack. It's a real knack breaking into the box late. Every one of his goals this season has been a carbon copy of of all the others coming in back post arriving late and it's a knack and I think players like that I think it'll be difficult to replace my, my biggest no one at the club that can do it currently 
and the bizarre thing is, if you look at Sundays, I, I was I was watching it at my in-laws, and I said to my father-in-law, Lundstrom's having an awful game. He misplaced some passes. He wasn't going and then he just turned up in the right place at the right time for the goal. And like you say, sometimes you can't you can't buy that. You can get away with not doing some of the other bits if they're not costly. If you're in the right place at the right time to finish, yeah. it's um, it's a diff- I, I, it's a real difficult one, and it, is. it it pisses me off a little bit that we don't know the ins and outs of it, but it feels like he's holding the club to ransom a little bit, and I don't like that. I think, like I say, lads, we have waited eighteen months to see anything from him. Like. He always hasn't just, he, he just hasn't seemed the right fit. I've always quite liked him, John. I've, we've had this discussion before this season. Yeah. I was quite happy to see him start. What did you say, Dan? Sorry. He's always been, a, he's always been a, ste- like, like you say, he's always been a steady player. Um, he kind of, unfortunately, he suffered from the fact that he was, it was, the perception was that he'd come in to replace Coots, who'd become a cult hero, and he's not. So he came in and he wasn't Coots and he, he instantly suffered by virtue of being not Coots. And I think he, I think then he was kind of labelled, there was a bit of a stigma attached to him and he, he's, he's, he's had to work hard to kind of shake that off and become John Lundstrom rather than the next Paul Coots. Lundstrom is a... a, a like you say, I think some of it comes down to as well, where, would you, where does, does Berger move into... The Norwood role over the course of next season, like we suggested no. that you know, Berger plays further forward. Still, he's not. Norwood's not going to play. Norwood's not not going to not play. going to play. And that's my, but yeah. that's my point. That I agree with Phil. He's, he's brought him in to do that role, and he, he looked absolutely fine at it on Sunday. I think he's also shown something on when he's played down that right side. He's he's not the same kind of player, but he's shown that tenacity. He got that goal um, against. I'm trying to cast back, but yeah, and he—he <laughs> was showing the signs. He's learning. He's a young player who's learning in a new, in a new league, at a different pace, in a new role in a team. And actually, could Berger do that job? But but we'd have to have slightly different expectations. You need, you probably need for the balance to have flag firing down that left hand side. Sorry, Phil. What? Could no one play the could no one play the lunchtime position? So the the box to box role. Start as a wing, didn't it? I'm not saying I think he will, by the way. I'm just asking the question. I I think in terms of the Norwood Burger thing, I think that's that's a separate thing, and we could go on about these merits. And if you think back to the last pod recorded, we all did talk about that sort of right hand side triangle really showing that it improved. Um, and I, but in terms of Lundstrom, if he you can get upwards of 10, 15 million pounds for him. You've got to do it. What makes me, what I would be fascinated about would be who wanted. Well, that's it. I mean, again, you take these things with a pinch of salt, but I saw someone on Twitter the day, I think it was actually, you take it with a big pinch of salt because I think it was the Spanish accountant. And he said, there's at least five or six Premier, Premier League clubs that are willing to pay him what he's asking for at United. But, but like let's get like let's discount the top six. Burnley, they're not gonna have the money. Okay. Why not? Burnley, Burnley have got exactly the same sort of money. They've got Premier League money the same as most Premier League clubs have. Burnley will play ten million pounds for a player. But I'm talking about if it's wages. Because I yeah, imagine they, we will have gone to the wages as well. You'd met you that's my thing about 
when I say money, it's, it's about the wages. Because I imagine we've gone to 25, 30. Newcastle? Yeah, but if you're looking to knock on, is he better than Shelby? I'd suggest not. I know he's scored these goals, but this Shel- Shelby... And That's not the go- question, John. The question is who would pay that kind of money? Who would pay that money? And he's a, different player, he's a different player to Shelby. Shelby's more of a of a Norwood burger, deep lying, spraying the ball around. But I'm looking at Newcastle's team and thinking St. Maximin, Almiron, Joe Linton, and then two others in there with Shelby. I don't know if you're looking to go up to challenge him for the Europa League, you signed John Lundstrom. And that, that's all I'm saying. Palace? Palace, you can see he improves on the likes of MacArthur and that, 100%. Um, Southampton? He's not. He's not better than what they've got. Yeah, I think. You know, I think he's better. Yeah. Hoiberg's leaving, isn't he? I guess. But he's obviously like Ward Prowse for me. Who plays I, I like that? Like Ward Prowse, but all right. Yeah, I take it. I take that. Um, so who else? Villa. Potentially, yeah. Potentially, especially if someone like McGinn moves on, they could look to bring him in. So, I mean, that's three or four potential destinations for him. And if you look, if you look, go back to that. You could even be looking at teams like Leeds have come up. Yeah. West Brom pay a lot of money for for players have done in the past. West Ham, they'll. Th- I mean, West Ham will throw money at all. I do. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think that's they've got. Is it Cech and Noble have played quite well, haven't they, in the running? But yeah, I, Noble's what thirty six. The point no. is options, right? There's there's options for him. There's gonna yeah. be. Yeah, I, I was I was merely playing. I was merely playing devil's advocate. I just don't see that logical of any dim, and and that's also applies to us. And personally, I, I hope we don't. Personally, I hope he stays and we they thrash it out and we get a contract that suits both parties. Because I think he's he's definitely got something to offer for us next season. I think he'll be he'll be as as if not more important to us next season than this because we need to we, we need him to again we need midfielders who can chip in with goals I'm happy for him to stay as well Dan as long as that drag bike Cruyff turn thing he does <laughs> fucking coached out of him as soon as possible how many times do we lose momentum with that yeah, yeah he just love again this season yeah. Christ on a bike when he was doing that against Everton I nearly went to the TV <laughs> seriously that's that's the forward line and the midfield kind of put to bed. The last point I had and last the last kind of where are we with this player is possibly the most the biggest and the most most potential for controversy. Um especially if, if Henderson. What's the what's the thinking? A, do we think he's coming back? B, do we want him to come back? C if he doesn't come back, what are our options? I quite like the other point you raised on the on the pre-pod list, Dan. Are, are we in danger of making him some sort of messiah figure like Brayford? Yeah, I mean, I, I have I have a certain point of view in him where I think we have gone, we are at risk, or we have gone full John Brayford on him. Um, I like Henderson. Don't get me wrong; I think he's good. He's, you know, he's, he's he's got a big personality. I think he's a very good goalkeeper. You know, contrary to what some people thought I was the point I thought I was making on Sunday, he's a very good goalkeeper. I just wonder if we've fallen into the, the trap like we did with Brayford. Brayford came in, long hair, beard, tattoos, swashbuckling, and we all fell in love with him. And Stripped that away and he wasn't actually as good as we thought. 
if John Brayford, if the John Brayford that came through at Burton, pasty looking ginger kid had, had signed for us, we would have never have fallen in love with him the way we did. And I just wonder if we've fallen a little bit hook, line and sinker for the chest thumping, still on top, crowd pointing, leaping up and down side of Dean Anderson and and we overlook some of his flaws because of that. I think I think he's a, a young keeper with flaws. And I think we've seen one of those flaws exposed more frequently towards the end of this season in some of the games, which is his near post. Um, he is prone, I think, to rushes of blood to the head, not of Simon Tracy levels, but of, you know... <laughs> uh, he, he, not the brains of a rocking horse, then, to call no. Mr. Battle. Yeah, not quite that. But I, I think, I think don't get me wrong, I think he's, a, I think he's a, a good keeper. He's in the top three or four English goalkeepers. If we didn't get him, do I think we could get a keeper that could do as a good a job for us? Potentially, yes. Don't get me wrong, if he, signs, if he re-signs for next season, I'll be happy. That, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I, but I don't think we should be... I think we've got to be careful. I mean, it's, in all honesty, it's going to be a loan again, isn't it? So we're not going to have to shell out silly money, but his wages could be problematic. But could we get better value from a Ramsdale or a Foster? I, I think we need to abandon Ramsdale as an, an option, personally. And Foster at those two... I think you're better off going for somebody more experienced. But what I'd say on Henderson is, if he's if, again really wanting to stay and well come back, stay whatever you want to call it, on one condition that we don't have the fucking drawn out nonsense we had last summer again. Because that was exactly the same thing. If we're going to get, if we're going to keep him, there has to be a time scale on it. And I'm sure the club will have done that, and the club will be couple of club will have done it last year as well, and will have been comfortable with the timings. I mean, we're on a truncated pre-season as it is anyway, so that 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 suddenly pushes that timeline up even more, doesn't it? We we need to give ourselves a good three or four weeks, bearing in mind there's six weeks till the season starts. Three or four weeks to get a different goalkeeper if it's not him. In my opinion, Fodderingham's not the number one. No, I mean I, yesterday I threw the name Butland in on Twitter, just and I just wonder if he's the sort of lost soul that between them Tufty and Darren Ward could could kind of bring back to the light because at one point he was the most highly rated go- he was Dean Henderson three four years ago he was the most highly rated goalkeeper in, in Britain and he was going to be England's number one for 15 years clearly he's got ability without a shadow of a doubt it looks like a confidence thing goalkeeping is all about confidence I know that from my own experience obviously nowhere near at that, at that kind of level but if, if you're feeling confident as a keeper you think you can stop everything as soon as that confidence goes, you can't kick it, you can't catch a ball that's straight at you, you come, you, you're nervous when a ball's rolling towards your feet, it's just everything, your, your mind gets screwed. If he had a complete change of scenery, took himself away from Stoke, you know, you, like you know yourself, players, it just doesn't work at a club, they go somewhere else, they find the mojo again. Is it something that if he left Stoke, he could come to another club? United, for example. It's a massive gamble to take. That's the problem. I'm going to ask a question now, knowing knowing who played in front of you. Does it does it make a difference about the defenders <laughs> that are playing in front of you, Phil? <laughs> Raise the eyebrows from down. Because if you think, think about think it, Butland coming, but, coming to play in front, behind a back four, back five in our case, that has got a well drilled system and is you know got a very strong defensive record for blocks tackles headers does that help so my worry would be the other way around a defense gets its confidence from the goalkeeper 
And I'd be really concerned that if we brought a keeper in that was short of confidence, that would affect the confidence of the defence in front of him. And that would be a big problem. Mm. How, does that work if, how does that work if your goalkeeper's a fucking mute? Ah, bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I didn't tell you it all coming, you know where. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, you don't want him coming in and, and unsettling a well-oiled machine, do you? Okay. I just think he's, he's obviously got by durability. It's yeah. just whether he's too big a gamble to take. So if we discount Butland, and so you then like Henderson coming back, or John, what makes you think Ramsdale's a non-starter? Just price, or I think we'd have to pay a premium, yeah. Uh, but also with Ramsdale, do you remember when Brad Guzan were at Villa? Uh, and he was always filmed making all these stops. I was like, oh, he's a decent young goalkeeper. In. He wasn't. They just had an absolutely dog dirty defence. They had elite chances for fun. And again, it's not no slight on keepers, Phil, but like that, that whole idea of oh, the phrase a good shot stopper really gets on my nerves. It's like calling somebody a good kicker. You know, oh, you're a good kicker of a ball. I should be the answer. Like Ramsdale, I just think Ramsdale, you know, you're looking at somebody Ramsdale's probably the fifth best English keeper in the league. Um and any and he's twenty one. So you end up looking at a massive amount of money for him. Um, yeah, though, that money would be reduced substantially by what apparently is a huge sell-on clause. Yeah, sell-on, yeah. I mean, we'll see. I mean, he, if you look at him on, I think I've got him on Instagram, like, they, loads loads of, like, Chef United associated people interact with him massively and stuff. Maybe his heart is up here. I just think we foster, I think we really know what we're getting, and we're also getting in. You're getting in a elite-level experience of, like, 15 getting on for 20 years of playing at that top level. That's the biggest concern, is age. And I know keepers get age and they can go on for a long time, but not many keepers go on much longer than what he is now. He's another, he, he's he looks another all right then, Foster, though, doesn't he? He looks like he looks after himself. Yeah, yeah. Henderson on loan is a short-term fix for a season. There's an argument to say that Foster's also a short-term fix for a season. Whatever happens, come the end of next season, you are then looking for another keeper. Hmm. Or do we take the hit on? I mean, there's this Turkish lad that we're like. Yeah, there's Turkish lad, isn't there? Well, there's been a rumour today we've had a 16 million bid turned down for him or something like that. Yeah. It's a rumour, silly season, but. Well, according to Twitter, Billy Sharp signing for Wednesday tomorrow, isn't it, for 100 grand? So. Have you checked that? <laughs> Have that you read that, guys? Somebody's oh, it's wild. <laughs> On one of them, he was saying, uh, on the same account, I think he said something like, after a man-and-match performance against Chelsea, Danny Drinkwater, he's on his way to Juventus on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a large pinch of salt for that one. So, so what's everyone think then? Henderson, obviously, we all think, we all think, we all like him to come back. Do we think he'll come back? John? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Yep. Yeah, me too. And, and the big problem. I'm glad we all agree. I hope we're right. That would have wasted 20 minutes discussing all terms. I don't think he's coming back. Fucking hell. Well, thank you. All, all the top key, all the, and I've said this as the argument all along, all the top clubs in Europe at the moment, with the exception of PSG, have got a goalkeeper. They're all set, aren't they? 
And you'd need somebody to go to PSG to start some trade. And the only and the only one who's positioned is uh, well, De Gea, three hundred and fifty grand a week. Kepa, don't know how much he's on a week, but they've spent sixty odd million quid on him, so it won't be it won't be live. In a six week turnaround, that might work in our favour for getting Dino back. And, yeah, and to be honest, right. I hope so because if he's going to make some mistakes, I'd rather he made them with us and benefited him in the long in, in the long term than he went to Man United, end up on the scrap pile, and then and. And, and his career floated away. So I think what, I would, what I would say about the mistakes he's made this season, and we, can, we don't want to talk about it all night, but Henderson's become a better goalkeeper this season than he was last. I would agree with that. Better next season than he will be. And again, to the yeah. same level next season. Yeah. I, I, I criticised, I mentioned the weaknesses at the start. It, like you say, he's learnt with us and you, you'd want him to continue learning with us. I guess what I was saying is we've got to be careful we don't build it up to be something that we that diverts us from what we really need to address. And all the points you're making are valid as well. The one Dan was making is valid. Have we built him up too much because of the antics that he does on top of the way that he plays football? But at the end of the day, he's a really, really bloody good goalkeeper. Yeah. yeah, he is. As well, we'd be talking about him very differently if we'd not just, what, if we'd not just lost three matches in a response bin. Just while we're talking about the flaws in Emerson's game, sorry, I, I know we could continue this forever, but do you think that as a whole the defence has been a bit shit for the last? I thought the best. I thought the best defender, the most consistent defender in the entire spell has been Jack Robinson. In terms of defensively, he's been outstanding. Like that tackle, there was a tackle on Ings. Yeah, it was a great block that. Yeah, and it was like, where's he come from? Like proper that. Like to me, that's proper defense. No, O'Connell does those normally. I think I think they missed they missed O'Connell, and then it's obvious that he probably came back a bit too quickly as well. Judging by the fact with with Robinson there, he's the strongest second string we've got. Mm. Having having watched him over since lockdown. And taking taking our starting eleven one to eleven, he's our strongest second choice. Him or uh, Os- him or Osborne, definitely. I think Robinson just as an edge. I think he's he's solid. I I no longer. I don't want O'Connell to get injured, but I agree, Dan. I'm, I, I I genuinely think he's a really decent footballer. And heaven forbid if we did lose Jack. Yeah, then, it's a bit bad, but it wouldn't be horrific as it would have been. At the beginning of the season. Anyway, where are we now? We don't really know, do we, lads? It's going to be an exciting six weeks. That's where are we now covered. Um, We'll be back in a couple of minutes to talk about where we'd like us to be in terms of one or two players we'd maybe like to see us bring in over the summer. Hey, trainers, Joe. What these? No, mate, I've had them for years. Just got them back from being clean. Look really good, don't they? Yeah, really? Is that a thing? Honestly, they look new, mate. They look class. Yeah, it's a thing. Really reasonable, too. I them done at this place called Glistening Kicks. They're in Sheffield. Fellas are blade, too. Oh, nice one. That saves buying new ones, doesn't it? How do I find them? I've got a few pairs I need looking at myself. Absolutely. Save, save me as someone who's got a bit of a trader for you an absolute fortune. You can get them on social media like most things these days. On Twitter at Glistening Kicks and Instagram at Glistening underscore Kicks, or they have a website 
twistingkicks.co.uk. Give them a shout. The process is dead easy. They collect them safely and then drop them back off with you. And if you take them round yourself, that process could be even quicker. Um, they look, feel and smell like new. And it's, I'm, I'm absolutely chuffed and I'm already looking at what pairs I'm going to take down um, next to have him look out for us. Nice one. Cheers for that. I'm going to get on to them straight away. What was their industry again? At glistening underscore kicks. That's the one. Really good service and I couldn't recommend it enough to any blades. Brilliant. Nice one. Yeah. Other blades. So welcome back to part three. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the future now. We've looked a little bit at the past and, and where we are as a club. We're going to have a little chat about who we'd like to see us sign. Um, we're going to do it a little different to what we did last year. We're going to pick... A realistic target each and then we're going to pick someone perhaps less realistic or a little bit more out there as to as to somebody who would like to see a sign so who'd like to kick it off john oh thanks i did i didn't put my hand up or I, I <laughs> okay use it go for the big goal right realistic signing for sheffield united fc for the 2021 covid spoiled season leading up to the years give myself time with this introduction i hope you can <laughs> I don't know if it's obvious. No, uh, we obviously need a striker. We need somebody who's scored goals in the Premier League, but also gives us something different and is a bit more dynamic to what we've we've probably got at the club. Um, I think we have to pay premium £25 million for this player, but I would be going and making him sign in, in the next week. Uh, and that would be Josh King from Palmer. Uh, Josh King would guarantee goals at this level. Somebody in the comments, not that we have them, but if somebody had comments, yeah, most of them are penalties. Yeah, yeah, still got to score them. Lots of strikers like Jamie Vardy, who's just won the golden boot, takes penalties. Nobody's saying, no, Vardy's not that good, he takes penalties. Mo Salah's taken penalties. Danny Ings taken and missed one the other week, but takes penalties. Josh King, Norwegian, maybe gets, maybe Sander on the phone, but he'd be, he'd be the one for me. Do you think he cost twenty twenty five million? I think considering Manu were in for him in January and he's his goal scoring record, I would only go out on this. I know Wilson's been injured, but over the last two seasons, I reckon King scored more goals than Wilson. Interesting. Did you see the thing where Wilson was valued at ten million or something in really? his window? And I was like. Really? I mean, it was a genuine article suggesting that 10 million was a fee to get Wilson. And I was like, well... It's got to be an injury and an age thing, surely. Yeah. But then, but then I guess King's 28. He's not a young player anymore. He likes it. Interesting, man, you went back in for him, given they let him go. Um, well, King, over the last five seasons, six in 31, 16 in 36, eight in 33, 12 in 35, and six in 26 this season. So, so he's about one in five record ish. He's averaging what nine, nine, nine tennessees. And I said the last two compared to Wilson because Wilson's had the injuries. Was all I was. I think Wilson over the five will have fucking destroyed him. Uh, I, I I find it. Uh, for for a club of Bournemouth stature, if you've got a forward averaging nine, ten goals a season, that's not bad. I think as well, we've talked about it before, if there is this big tactical like revamp, you can play on either side off, off a 
offer McBurney as the the pivotal nine as well. I think I think King's out, out of the relegated sides and the players available. He's the log, he's the most goals for money value, which isn't even a phrase. I've just invented it. But I think it'd be the most sound use of our money, Josh King. Are we in or are we out, boys? You've taken my. I was picking Josh King as well. Yeah, I'd have Josh King. If we sign Josh King, I'd be over the moon. Ian? I'd Tell take up. Josh King. I think if you're looking, I don't know if I'd go at the 20, 25 million, but I think certainly, yeah. Well, I think you could have those as if he gets 10 league goals. Take 15 league goals in the first season, you get 5 million. Okay, fine. Um, but yeah, he, he's done well for this season, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, double. If he yeah. got 15 goals for us, it'd be double. And I don't see why he couldn't in our side. So the season, he's a, he's a decent finisher and he's quick. Yeah, I'd have him, definitely. Cool. Dan, what do you reckon? Who would you go for? Um, mine is, so obviously John's gone for a, a goal scorer. I've gone for a, a, a creator because I think we're lacking a little bit of creativity. And I'm not sure how we'd fit this player in, whether we'd go back to having the Duffy role or whether Tufty would have to have a bit of a rejig and go... Um, with one up front so a three midfield one up front and then one kind of in behind uh, but I'd be going to QPR for easy and I'd possibly be asking if they want Luke Freeman throwing into the deal from, from what I've seen of him he's tailor made for the Premier League he's, he's got everything we need and I think he'd fit into that role perfectly and again if, Q, you know, if, if QPR would take someone like like Luke Freeman in part exchange, even if they gave us, you know, valued him at five or six million. You know, 15 million, I think they're talking 20 for easy. If we yeah. could get him for 14, 15 plus Freeman, I think that's a good deal to me. I mean, I I've see got... West Ham with him today at 20 well, that, million. That bumps the yeah. price up to 40 then, doesn't it? Lady, <laughs> Lady Brady gets her money out, that's uh, that's 40 million before you start. <laughs> we'll give you 25 fucking million quid <laughs> in a fucking box of porn mags, eh, fixed? <laughs> I'm not suggesting that's golden. an awful Karen Brady impression yeah <laughs> is a Golden Sullivan like weird like person no Dan I touched on him the other week then I think he's a phenomenal talent um, I think he could play up front as well and potentially do McGoldrick style and I think he's a fan like yeah, he's a very exciting player and as good as this team is We've not got anyone who gets you off your seat. And maybe Duffy's the only one, Brooks was, but I think we could do with a few more players like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm not just in, I'm all in. Yeah, I think, I think we, we've talked about him before on the pod when we've had these kind of discussions, haven't we? And I think he's only got better, he's only got better over the course. It's another player that's developed as the season's gone on and probably a better player now than when we've talked about him previously. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, I'm torn because I've got I've got two players who uh, I think could come in and do this role from the relegated clubs. Um, and I'm going to say Wendy at Norwich. And I think if we're looking, one of the things Tufty's referred to is it's not it's not so much the strikers not scoring; it's about us having that bit of quality. With that final ball, you know that pass around the edge of the box, the ability to open up sides, 
you know, if we could release Moose in the right way, if we could put a decent, better, more frequent crossing for McBurney, you know, we've got goals in the strike. I think we've got goals. I'm not saying we've got, you know, 20 goal strikers, what we've got, but we've got more goals in the strikers we've got. And I think it comes down to the quality of a setup. But this also is dependent then on how we set up next season. Because it's gone, we've gone very solid and stable, which I absolutely get this season, which is which is delivered as a zero goal difference, which is delivered as the points and the return and the, the performances and the results we've got. We've got such a solidity. He may be a bit of a wild card for that, you know. Um, and will he fit in to that? You know, Wilder's got a type of player that he wants to sign that fits into the ethos, the work rate, the um, the whole you know unity piece. Is Wendy that player? Possibly, possibly not. But in terms of quality and what he could potentially create for us around the edge of the box, that's the kind of player. I think. I think, I think it's all right bringing in someone like that as well as an individual because. You have to fit in. You have to fall into line. We've all we've all started new jobs, and sometimes it takes you a week, a month, three months, six months, a year until you actually find the people in there that are your mates or whatever, and you fall into line. I wouldn't be worried about that. I'd just say that the only thing in, and I want us to sign this player. There's two things that stop us: if a Brentford go up, or or b if because he's a wide player. Whether or not we, we, no, we, we Wendy and not Ben Rama. Oh yeah, Wendy from Norwich. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> You're allowed one choice, John. You've just mentioned mine. <laughs> uh, I've had a few beers. I'm on holiday. <laughs> the player I was also thinking about as an alternative is: Do we go back in for Brooks? Yeah, that, and so. You kind of t- stealing a little bit of my thunder. I'm go on, you go. go on, you go for I think I'm on the same sort of page as you, Ian. I think that we need to change the way that we play a little bit, and I can't have Eze because because Dan's already said him. So I was gonna, I, I'd, I'd got either two, uh, either Wendaya, who you've called out, or Ben Rama, but. Brooks would also do that job for us as well, and I think he would probably cost less than the other two because of his injury record. His values, considering how how high stock was at the beginning of sorry at the end of last season, missing pretty much the whole season, his values his, his values got to drop surely. Yeah, I love the quote on Match of the Day about Brooks. By the way, I don't I, I can't remember if it was Ian Wright or somebody was saying how. Uh, you know the supply line for Bournemouth has been disappointing. Players like Brooks and etc. just haven't haven't delivered. I thought he's not bloody played. Yeah, he's only played the last five games, hasn't he? Yeah. I, I think the, the only other one he played since lockdown finished. Yeah, he came back, didn't he? Uh, would have been uh, Ollie Watkins as a realistic. I think he'd be somebody that would fit into that as a role as well. And Watkins is a player we talked about early on in the season, didn't we? At the January transfer window chat, I think. Um, again. Fantastic goal scoring record. It's interesting. I'd like, in one way, I'd like Brentford to come up. I quite, I like Brentford. I like the way they played. New ground ground to visit. Everything, you know. But actually, I'd quite like to cherry pick some of their players. Pinnock at the back being another good, good shout for a defender. Really really good player. If if they don't go up, they'll be, you know, like you said, they'll get they'll get picked apart. And I know that that's their model, isn't it? That's what Hmm. they do. I like the manager as well. I think the manager's calls for. I think they really could get, like uh, manager. Really? Go up, sorry. Yeah. 
I think some of their players have been that. But Ben Rama, especially, I think he's he's a really impressive player, isn't he? Yeah. The fact Chelsea are sniffing around at like thirty-five million, I think I think that makes sense. But he's West London as well, so I'm just what I am doing. So Phil, who are you going on? Are you going with books? Yeah. Because what I'm doing is I'm going to draw the eleven with the fantasy players in. <laughs> what it looks like. So Brandy is going back into centre midfield at the moment. It's quite this, isn't it? Seeing as we've just signed Josh King, uh, Eze, Wendier and um, David Brooks. Brooks. Not as, as well as I assume David McGoldrick and Ollie, Noel, uh, uh, Ollie McBurney, sorry. I think the, the, good, the interesting point out of that, though, is if we took, going back to the, the thing about the age of the squad, I think Josh King's the oldest of those at 28. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at players 23, 24 years old who are good, have got potential to get even better. And I think that's that's important about our signings this summer. But unfortunately, they the ones that cost you more money. Yeah, well, they are the goal scorers as well, aren't they? So they're they're who we deem as being realistic then. So just for just for um, just for discussion, in the current we're having a change of system at United this summer. Kings up front, Brooks on the right, Eze in the hole, Wendia. Uh, dropped into the midfield too. We're playing four two three one with these fantasy signings. Uh, just for me on notes here. Excellent. We'll have to add the uh, the fantasy players in as well then. So same order then, John. Have you got a fantasy player you'd like us to go and get? Yeah. Uh, I think this would cost like a fair amount of money. I think when he's played this season, he's he's looked a really decent player. Uh, I think we'd have to go beyond the 25 for King to get him. Well, not much more. It'd be Keely, Keelachi, whatever his face is, Ian Archo from Leicester. Um, still not dislodged uh, Vardy. I know Rogers likes to play a front two. I imagine next season Leicester, well, in this six weeks, Leicester are going to sign a striker. I think he's available. I just think we'd have to pay premium. And he came through at City. Before they had Jesus, he was banging goals in. Obviously, that's in a really good team. But when you're 18, 19, being, having the, it doesn't matter who's loading the gun. If you're playing for one of the biggest clubs in the country, particularly a club who's winning leagues and you're finishing chances, you're a very good finisher. I think he would... He, he, if we weren't having Josh King, I'd have Ian Acho. And he'd be my fantasy. That cost us a bit more than we're probably willing to pay. But I also think he's slightly available if we were really going to get the checkbook out. Interesting. He played against Man U, didn't he? Brought him, like I say, he played him in the front two there, having had Barnes in and you know in other games. So it's um, he's obviously still reasonably prominent. But like you say, it comes down to what their transfer activity is, doesn't it? I also think you know they have Perez as the third choice, so I, I yeah. can see them buying a, like a striker, Leicester. You're right. It was really well thought of at City before they, like I said, before they put Jesus, uh, Jesus in and stuff like that. It, it was really well thought of. And I just think he just he like laser focus finisher, and he scored quite a few this season when he's been in and out of the side as well, which is always a sign of a decent player. The fact that you don't know you're coming and going in his bags. But he's he's my fantasy. Uh, I. If you're listening, I'll show you're not my fantasy in any any rude way, but in terms of playing the players concerned, I think uh, I'd be up for you playing in the red and white. Didn't need to add that little caveat, did I? But I did. Stop, stop talking, John. 
<laughs> Very attacking formation, this. So, oh, God, I was hoping you were going to go to Dan. Um, it's Phil in charge. And I've inter- yeah, I'm sorry. I was just reading something on our group chat about a particular United player that I'm not going to bring up on this podcast, but we'll talk about it afterwards. Cool. It's not Neil Shipley again, is it? No. It's an equally outlandish accusation that's been made against one of our current players. We'll talk about it afterwards so it doesn't get uh, anybody in any trouble. (laughs) So, go on, Ian. Is it worth a push for a Daniel James on loan from Man U? No, because you don't fit in the team. (laughs) Brooks on bench. No, but I'm, I'm, if we're talking, we're not. We're not going to sign all these. Oh, so exactly. So if you, if you, and I'm not saying it's a sign, and, and I suppose it's not. It, it's more. Of, uh, what's the word? Um, aggressive in terms of the player itself, because it would be a loan rather than a outright buyer. Thought, but not getting in near that Man United side, the kind of young player that might just react well to being part of this club big mates from McBurney as well aren't they yeah. yeah yeah I think the only yeah. thing that the only the thing that makes that happen is if they get Sancho yeah and, and they got seems, Sancho yeah Man United are going to upgrade and I don't think James is part of that at the minute wages would be an absolute but then if we we got Henderson and that with the wages issue there I'm not. I, I think. I think there's been some breakthrough at Man U, where like the Fernandez signing, somebody's proposed to Woodward and the board, haven't they? That the way to be successful, and it's not like it's, this isn't like some major mathematical theory I'm going to present. Is just go and buy the best players that you can buy with the money that you've got available rather than trying to be clever. So like when they, when they spent all the wages on Sanchez, they were trying to be clever and beat City and beat the market and all this, that and the other. Uh, same when they got Di Maria, really, when they didn't need him. And they've actually got, like now, Sancho's available, going and buying the most exciting English player, probably after Greenwood, who they've yeah. already got. It's just like, doesn't matter if it costs 100 million, just go and get him. Yeah. And I think there's the and, and the Fernandez signings made that transfer approach become logical to Man United again. Whereas before, I think they were trying to do it in a different way. Whereas yeah. Solskjaer is not going to go and like James is an example of them backing youth and needing bodies in the squad. Yeah, and also there's a pressure at any club, and Man United is no different to bring new players in. And 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 maybe they didn't fancy Solskjaer. And and Fernandez has proved that you know you give most managers the best players in the world, they can probably be good. But I think I think that's why they will get Sancho, and I think James will be available. Does he fit in at United? I'm not sure, but I think that's an interesting one here. I really do. It's a bit left field. It's a bit. You know. He plays on the right. Uh-huh. Sorry. <laughs> but you know that's what this section's about, and it just you know throwing throwing something in there that. We've got Eze in the hole, James and Brooks on either wing, and Ian Acho and King up front with Randia in the midfield too. Who's Dan going for? Mine fits in perfectly with that. So mine is 
based on again going back to what we said earlier on Lundstrom possibly leaving and us needing a a box to box midfielder. Um, I'm not sure how much it cost. It might be within our budget. Since they've gone down, it might cost us 25, 30 million. It was really they were they were talking about going to some big clubs a couple of seasons ago. I'd be going to Watford uh, and asking about Abdullah Dukuri. I thought about Dukuri early actually. I yeah, think, I think in in that Lundstrom role. Box to box, breaking things up, breaking into the box late. He's a big physical player. He's, well, he's six foot, six foot one. He's a big, strong lad. I think he'd be perfect for us. Um, a, yeah, he's one of many outstanding. Like when you look at like this is another reason how well we've done. Decore, Hughes, uh, Perea, De La Feu, Dini, Sarr. Yeah, all these. Kapoue, all these players in the summer would have cost us upwards of 15 to 20 million quid to sign to come into our side. How many points ahead of Watford have we finished? I know they're a bullshit club in terms of what goes on behind the scenes. They're a basket case, aren't they? But Speaking of basket case, that's a batshit crazy decision getting rid of Pearson two weeks, two games. End of season. He's, 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 he's called someone a CUNT behind the scenes or swung for someone. He's, he's got to have done something like that. I mean, he's known for having a mouth on him, isn't he? So it's weird that Hayden Mullins didn't keep him up, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost it's like getting rid of Wilson and expecting Morgan and Unsworth to get us through playoffs, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, he'd, he'd be my, he'd be my. I mean, he's, he's a player, obviously. I've, I've kind of liked for a few seasons, and he's never, obviously, he's never been on our radar when we were a third division and a championship side. But now we're now we're up there, and they've gone back down. I just wonder. If there might be a bit of a fire sale at Watford, um, he might be a fantasy player. He might not be a fantasy player. I don't know. It depends what they're asking. I think there'll be clubs bigger than Sheffield United interested in him, but I think again, Dan. Oh, yeah. I think, but I think that's fair about Ianacho, James, Decore, and I'm sure Phil's going to throw someone in now. Well, I've got someone who's um, caused us problems this season. He's caused a lot of clubs problems problems this season, and. Realistically, is he someone we're likely to sign? Probably not. Is he out of our financial scope? Probably so a little bit. Sam Maximum at Newcastle. Fucking okay. <laughs> Yeah. Where's he playing right back? <laughs> <laughs> playing behind the front. You have a formation. You're making this bit up, John. <laughs> playing behind the front five. I, I think you know what? I think, I think that's Sam Maximum's got the ability to play for anyone he wants to. If he can get him get himself right, he's got. I don't think he knows what he's doing next. To be fair, but when he's on it, he's unplayable. He's brilliant to watch, and yeah, all right, he scored two goals against us this season. But I think both of them were soft on our part. But if he could add more goals to his game, he'd be a, a top top draw player. He's a, he's very. You've got to remember as well. First season in the Premier League. From league off, he's he's only young as well. Yeah, he's about twenty-three, I think. Twenty-two, twenty-three. Very good player. Very funny. (laughs) The the penis cops and stuff was was genius. Um, Yeah. John is is that sort of player we haven't got at the minute? Is the sort of player that doesn't get you out of your seat? Sorry, that does get you out of your seat that we haven't got. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of it, like Daniel James, Brendia, Eze, King, Brooks, and Maximum are all. More excitement of Ramalane, aren't we? That's what we're saying. 
We sound like that ungrateful bastards, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) But but I think, but it's right, we're we're addressing the bit that Wilder's come out and said is where we need to improve. What was the word? More, they use the word pace and mobility, I think. Yeah. Which pretty much all those players we've talked about have those have those those Fashions, traits. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's fair to say, like we all like Pulp Fiction and, and and films like that, but we also want to watch Predator occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> I have absolutely no fucking idea what you're talking. I'm trying to say a bit more of it, you know. Oh fucking hell! I have had a few beers, haven't I? Yes, no, I was was a few I've only had a, I've just, just not had my tea yet. But, <laughs> no, what I'm trying to say is, Pulp Fiction are more like thinking bands, blah, 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 but occasionally you want something that's like, wow, like Predator. And I know Predator's Dan's favourite film, so I was trying to win his support, and he was the one who said, <laughs> he's the one who went after me. So, <laughs> so I, I'll just focus on being John. <laughs> not Barry Norman. So just give you the uh, after tonight's recruitment drive. We've got Ben Foster in the net. Very shaky back three of O'Connell, Egan and Bash. Only shaky because they've got no protection. St. Maximum doing a bit of a um, Philip Larm under Guardiola, right wing back, come centre midfield sort of thing. Madeira and Decore, Eze in front of them. Daniel James on left. Brooks on the right. Ian Asho and King up front, but I think I've just realised there's 12 players in there. <laughs> playing with... Well, that's one 12. way to try get over that, you know, lack of defensive cover, is have 12 of them on the pitch. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, but like, I think... It's plenty to look forward to next season. Let's put it that way, if that's what we've got. <laughs> uh, who knows is co- who knows is coming in. Uh, nice one. Right, welcome back to part four, Hall of Fame, um, as ever, uh, the final part of the pod. But last time we did something slightly different in that uh, we put it out to a vote, uh, our four nominations. And just to run you down the finishing order for the nominations, in fourth place was uh, David McGoldrick. In third place was David McGoldrick. In second place... Didsy. And in first place, our Republic of Ireland international striker, David McGoldrick. So unsurprising, clean sweep for Didsy in the vote. Um, look, we, 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 we said on the pod what a great player, what a great contributor he is to our squad, to our play, to our goal scoring now this season, but obviously in, in prior season as well. Um, and I think, you know, wholeheartedly he was fast-tracked into the Hall of Fame we just put it out for the vote for laugh amazingly enough people just chose to vote for a different David McGoldrick on each one but anyway <laughs> um, on that subject we had a chat pre-pod tonight and agreed that actually we're going to do something similar tonight and I think we're all in agreement that the nomination for the Hall of Fame for this week should be the class of 2019-20 
the elongated COVID season for giving all of us, and I think I'm fair to say here, the best season of our Blades watching lives. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, it has to be done. I mean, everything from the um, from Billy's goal on the opening day, so like some of the some of the early wins, right through to disappointment of McGoldrick's disallowed goal um, at Spurs, the ecstasy of McBurney's equaliser against Manu, the then irony of celebrating the disallowed goal for West Ham after Moyes and Snodgrass had been practically knocking one out on the touchline to what's happened post-lockdown and the big thing we talked about earlier and I forgot to mention it, the fact that we looked done and then we went and beat three of the best sides in the country back to back to back to McGoldrick getting those goals to players coming in and getting and and proving what we already knew that they belonged in the Premier League. This has been a really special season and although I personally probably am left thinking what could have been like I like I'll always remember what's happened this year. Always. What, what Sorry about that. I don't know where that came from. It's very emotional that John. You're like you're gonna start crying. But Wilder's touched on it, hasn't he? The, the there's players that you talk about from United's past that we haven't even seen play. People like Tony Curry and Alan Woodward and Len Badger and Trevor Oke. And these are immortalised in United folklore. 30 years from now, people will be talking about this squad, these players, in those same terms, and they, and rightly so, because, like Ian said then, it's the best season in my lifetime, position-wise, as well as some of the stuff we've seen. Like I say, it's not, it's, not just the, it's not just what they've done on the pitch, it's the group off the pitch as well, isn't it? Mm. it? It's what they're like as a group of players. You know, you've seen the behind-the-scenes interviews and stuff like that. Just how they are as a group and, and how they've been moulded together. It's, it's, a, it's a group that's evolved. You know, this this team have taken us on this journey with us over four years. Some of them are still here who were there at the start of this four years ago. But every player that's coming, you look at how Berger, you know, coming into a new country to live, a young guy has just slotted straight into that ethos, that culture, that... That just that squad is it, it sums up all you need to know about this United team for me. That you know you come in, you have the you you deliver what the manager asks of you, and you you're one of us. And I think you know it. I, you know I think three of us were fortunate enough to see the best bits of the Bassett reign. I think John, you were probably too young. I saw the, I saw the worst bits. Yeah. But the best bits, you know, when we were turning over the big teams, you know, where we were, I think we got to 13th one season. You know, the season I was born, I think I'm the oldest on the pod. We've, we just missed out on Europe again, narrowly, uh, finished higher. But, you know, for the rest of us, that is the, that is the watermark, really, that Bassett season, that, you know, the, the Bassett two, three years of, of being there or thereabouts, um, sort of mid-table Premier League turning over teams now and then but this season as we touched on at the start has been competing against every other team at some point in the season yes Man United turned us over heavily away yes Liverpool dominated us at Anfield but we gave them both a game at Bramall Lane so no every manager that's come to Bramall Lane season has played against United has got the utmost respect for us as a club for us as a team and for Chris Wilder as a manager 
And that is huge. I've never felt that way and seen the adulation of other people in football, be it pundits, be it um, other opposing managers and opposing fans talk about my club that way. Under Bassett, we were almost like a, a second Wimbledon, weren't we? We had we, yeah. teams respected us, but it was kind of grudging respect. And yeah, they're all right and they work hard and they get around you and they, and they get results. Whereas this season, it's not been grudging respect. It's been genuine, gen, like you said, genuine respect and genuine adulation from, from some very good pundits. And that's interesting. Is, yeah. I said genuinely very good pundits. <laughs> it's interesting you say that, Dan, because it's... That's the thing, isn't it? Like football and, you know, journalism of, like, journalism of film, journalism of music, journalism of literature is often littered with the, the basic level is comparing it to other stuff. This band sound like that band. Oh, that film had those, those scenes that made me think of that. I read that book and those characters are like, they're, they're written in those other books. And that's been the thing in football for ages. So he's like this player. She, uh, well, she's like this player. But that that team playing this style, this is the sort of football we saw in this period. Blah blah blah. Do we have think about this? And okay, the very basic level it gets shared is the idea of the overlapping centre backs. But there's something about this team under Wilder which, if people aren't like head over heels in love with it and if you listen to like various people on football podcasts some people are like such big fans of Wilder and what he's done there's generally like an like a it's a bit different it's and, and, and that sort of excitement in the way they talk about it like I've never heard of it he came like Clive Tilsley when we played Everton came across in the com- commentary and it, it wasn't insulting it wasn't derogatory it was a I've never seen anything like this before and they should be praised. And it's been such a unique year for some really bad reasons. But if you look back at this, like I think I said in the group chat the other day, unfortunately, I do feel in lots of ways like the season ended for me after the Norwich home game. But even though that and COVID and all that nonsense, there's so much to be proud of. Absolutely. And I think that's a perfect way to, to finish this pod and look forward to the next one in terms of how we're going to, I don't know, judge this season, judge the players, decide on some, maybe some individual Hall of Fame awards for, for various different things throughout the season. What do you think? I think, I think what we need to do is, is finally all being well, return to the pub. We guest producer Luke, people who've helped us out throughout the season, young, uh, young Chopper, young Sam, Macca, um, all eight of us sit down all being well and we have some general discussions around players and young players, days out, home games, moments, villains, heroes and, and generally look back on something that at the moment, despite losing three games, is very hard to see in the positive light that it deserves to be to be shone in. Yeah. I look forward to that. Yeah, can't wait. Amen. It's been an absolute blast this season, lads, and it's been amazing talking about it with you lot most weeks. So thank you for that. Uh, and one last shout out before we go. We do feature in the latest edition of Den Blades 
fanzine, which I'm holding up for the camera that, again, none of you can see. Sam and Sam do a fantastic job and they've continued to do a fantastic job, wrote some great things and got some great contributors in this one. I know they've had to uh, reassess their plans for the season ticket for the year 2020 due to COVID, as like most people have. If you're not a, a subscriber um, or you've never interacted with their stuff, please go and check it out. The great lads and uh, we're, we're, we're really lucky um, to be involved with them and you can get to know all about us in there. However, it was written about six months ago, so I don't know, maybe we would have got a bit more cocky uh, if we'd done it then. But it's been a great season, boys. It's been great to share with you too. So. Ditto. All the blades. Look forward to the end of season uh, blast. Thank you, everybody, and thanks to all the listeners. We couldn't have done it without you. Nice one. <laughs>